Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Cedar Home Baptist Church. My name is Dan Halleck. If I have not met you yet, I'm the lead pastor here. And just so thankful that you have joined us online this morning to worship the Lord together. Wish we could be together in person. Uh, as always, we are trusting the Lord with that timing. And in the meantime, we just ask that he would use us to be uh, faithful to him and a good witness to those around us. Um, this week, I was walking through my backyard when all of a sudden I heard a loud squawking in the trees right right beside me. And I, I looked up and I saw a couple of robins that were just squawking at the top of their lungs at me like this alarm sound and they were they were not happy with me it seemed like they were trying to tell me something and so i, I look around i feel like dr doolittle here except i don't speak their language but i'm i'm like what are you guys trying to tell me I, I, I look around and i look down at the ground and there right in front of me a few feet in front of me was a little baby robin and it was not a brand new baby, right? It, was, it wasn't like it was all pink, but it was a baby and it was a little bit pink and it had some feathers and the little cute downy feathers poking out of its eyebrows and all that. And I figured that it must have been pushed out of its nest and it had not learned how to fly yet. And I was kind of worried about it because it, it, it wasn't running away from me, right? And so I'm like, that's not good when a, a bird isn't escaping a possible predator. And so, but I love animals. And, and so I was just kind of looking at the little guy for a few seconds. Now I made an immediate mistake. Uh, I yelled at my kids to come look at this little guy. And as soon as they saw this bird, they fell in love with him. And I should have known that they, they spent the rest of their afternoon looking after this little guy as he hopped around our backyard and chirped. And as we were avoiding the parents, you know, dive bombing us. Well, as evening approached, we, uh, we were concerned about what to do with this little guy. We, uh, we, we've got a lot of cats in our neighborhoods on both sides. We just found out we have some raccoons in a tree next door to us. We felt bad leaving this vulnerable little bird alone overnight. And so we said, we really need to, we don't know what we're doing. We need to call some experts and find out. So... We called three different bird experts, a veterinarian and a, 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 a rehab place that rehabs birds, as well as one of our friends who knows a lot about birds. And we just asked them, what should we do with this little bird? And they said, it sounds like you have a little fledgling robin. And the best thing for you to do is um, don't feed it and just leave it alone and let nature take its course. And that was a hard pill for us all to swallow, especially my kids. But, you know, we got good advice. Uh, they told us to leave it alone. And so we, uh, we decided to take the bird inside for the night. And we, uh, we put a little towel inside a box and we set the little bird inside. We put holes in the cardboard box. And, and then we, felt, uh, we fed the, the bird half of a little worm because we wanted him to sleep with a full belly. And uh, we said good night. Now the next morning, much to my surprise, the bird was still alive, and uh, we then placed it back in the backyard, 
and since then it's been hopping around for the past few days and I just looked a few minutes ago I can actually see the little guy right now outside my window and uh, his parents have been feeding it worms and so we're just praying that this has a happy ending and that that bird learns how to fly. Now, um, why in the world would five humans care so much about one little baby robin? Um, some of you might think we're a little crazy, but this is the truth. We fell in love with this little new life that God made. It was miraculous. There, there's something truly amazing about new life. Uh, it is for me personally one of the most convincing evidences for the existence of God. Uh, and the Bible testifies over and over again that the Lord is a life-giving God. He's the God of life. Uh, God's breath of life is what has made all living things alive. The, the reason anything is alive is because God breathed life into it. It's amazing. And even more remarkable is that unlike you and me, God does not need existing parts to breathe life into something. He doesn't need existing parts to make something new. When God first created the universe, he created the universe out of nothing. Scripture says this over and over again. It's the doctrine of ex nihilo, or out of nothing. Romans 4.17 says that the Lord is the God who gives life to the dead. And the Lord is the God who calls into existence the things that do not exist. That's amazing. God calls into existence the things that do not exist. And God gives life to the dead. That's what Romans 4.17 says. And God does not do that only in the physical world. God also does that in the spiritual world. God calls into existence spiritual things that do not exist. And God gives spiritual life to the spiritually dead. That, that is such a breathtakingly glorious thing. Um, you know, like we talked about last week, every person has biological life, uh, but not every person has spiritual life. Ephesians 2, 1 says that apart from Christ, we are biologically alive. We are physically walking through life, but we are spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins. Scripture says that in order for us to be freed from our trespasses and sins, in order to uh, escape God's wrath because of our trespasses and sins, in order to escape eternal spiritual death, God must do something drastic for us. God must make us alive with Christ. And it is, thankfully, God's good pleasure to do that. <laughs> That's the gospel. That's great news for us, right? And, and this is what we're going to talk more about this morning. How God makes people spiritually alive in Christ and why he does that. So if you have your Bible with you, uh, please turn with me to Ephesians 2 verse 1. Ephesians 2 verse 1. 
And um, before we read this, uh, let's ask the Lord to, to help us. Lord God, we, we need your help. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would feed us with your word of life today, this bread of life. Um, nourish our souls. God, for those uh, who are watching or listening who, who don't know you, we just pray for them that, that you would make them alive, that they would see the glory uh, that is in you, Jesus Christ, as God. And we come to you now and open your word, not just to, you know, try to learn three quick tips on how to make our lives easier or better or, um, or just to learn some little trivia facts about the Bible. We open your word because you say it is living and active and powerful and that men cannot live by bread alone, but by the very word of God. You tell us, God, that we are sanctified, we are made like you by your word of truth. And so we ask that you would use it to transform our lives um, so that we might take more joy in you, uh, become disciples who look more like you, who love you more, who love one another uh, the way you've instructed us to, and that we would do all of that joyfully and by the power of your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's uh, begin by reading Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, so we can see the context before and after, and then we'll focus on verses 4 to 7. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So as we look at verses 4 to 7 today, the main uh, questions I have for us are three questions. One, what does it mean that God made us alive together with Christ? What does that mean? Second, why did God make us alive together with Christ? Why did he do this? And third, how does our new life in Christ change our identity and our future? How does our new life in Christ change our identity and our future? Start with the first one. What does it mean that God made us alive together with Christ? Well, the fact that God made us uh, alive, that is those of us who are followers of Christ, those of us who are in Christ, uh, the fact that God did that means that before he made us alive, we were not alive, right? We were dead spiritually. And last week, we looked at verses 1 to 3 to see what exactly 
being dead spiritually means. We were dead, it says, in our trespasses and sins. We were following the course of this world alongside all the other sons of disobedience. We were following in the footsteps of Satan. We were sons of wrath, it says. We were headed toward God's eternal wrath in the lake of fire with Satan. We did not want God when we were dead. We considered the gospel foolish, 1 Corinthians says. Uh, we willingly and unrepentantly chose to keep living sinful lifestyles in defiance of God and his laws. But then, while we were dead, the Spirit of God, in His timing and according to His will, blew upon us at some point and made us alive in Christ. <laughs> he made us alive. So just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead physically, so also God raised us from the dead spiritually. Get that? Just as God raised Jesus from the dead physically, so also God raised us from the dead already spiritually. And the Bible describes this miracle of spiritual rebirth in a number of ways. Uh, the Bible calls it regeneration or being born again or being born of God or being born of the Spirit or being born of the water and the Spirit, or being made alive together with Christ, like in today's passage. So, because so many things happen to a person at the exact same time when the Spirit makes him or her born again, uh, it's difficult to define regeneration uh, with a short definition. It's difficult to define what it means to be born again with a short definition. And so um, here are a few attempts, though, at that that I think are helpful. J.I. Packer writes, Regeneration is the spiritual change wrought in the heart of man by the Holy Spirit in which his or her inherently sinful nature is changed so that he or she can respond to God in faith and live in accordance with his will. It extends to the whole nature of man, altering his governing disposition, illuminating his mind, freeing his will, and renewing his nature. I tried to write my own definition too. I looked at probably, I don't know, 15 or 20 different definitions and different commentaries and books, and I tried to put all the pieces together to write my definition of it, and here's what I came up with. Regeneration is the Holy Spirit's, the Holy Spirit's gracious act of breathing everlasting spiritual life into a spiritually dead person, uniting him or her to Jesus Christ, and making him or her into a new creation who now wants to trust, love, and obey the Lord with all of his or her heart, soul, mind, and strength. That too is a long definition. And so if we want to put it more concisely, here's one. Regeneration is when God makes a person born again with new life in Jesus Christ. So when God makes a person alive with Christ, he does it a particular way and he makes particular things happen. So let's talk about that a little bit. The particular way that a God, uh, excuse me, that God makes a person alive with Christ is through the Holy Spirit's power 
and through the proclamation of the gospel, through the Holy Spirit's power and the proclamation of the gospel. Jesus said that it is the Holy Spirit's power that makes a person born again. It is not the power of man that makes a person born again. In John 6, 63, Jesus said, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And what is then the megaphone through which the Holy Spirit speaks to make people alive? God's word or the gospel. Uh, James 1.18 says, Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So specifically, it is God's word of the gospel, uh, the good news of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection for sinners that the Holy Spirit uses to make people born again. 1 Peter 1, 23-25 says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So, the particular way that God makes a person alive with Christ is through the Holy Spirit's power and the proclamation of the gospel. And when the Holy Spirit makes a person spiritually alive, he makes certain particular things happen. God unites that person to Jesus Christ. This is why verse 5 says that the dead person is made alive together with Christ. He or she is physically united, uh, excuse me, spiritually united to Jesus. So Christ's physical resurrection from the dead is the means of your spiritual resurrection from the dead. Get that? Because Jesus rose from the dead, you too by the same power are risen from the dead spiritually by God. And and being united to Jesus Christ, this new person does not remain in deadness and sinfulness, but is raised up to new life. He's raised up. He or she is a new creation. He or she uh, has a new desire to trust God that was not there before. The, the born-again person has a new disposition toward God, a, a disposition of love for God. Because God has removed the hard heart of stone from that person and replaced it with a tender heart of flesh, this regenerated person now wants to trust the Lord and love the Lord and obey the Lord. The regenerated person wants to live for God with all of his or her heart, soul, and mind and strength. This person is a new creation wrought by the Holy Spirit. Now, one of the Old Testament prophecies that describes how God 
makes people born again is Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27, which describes our new covenant in Christ. And it says, uh, in it, God is speaking. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So who is the one doing all of this? Very clearly, it is God. He's saying, I will do this. I will do this. I will do this. Now, just the next chapter, uh, in the next chapter, Ezekiel follows with this awesome vision, this illustration of what it looks like when the Holy Spirit brings people to life through the Word of God, the Gospel. Ezekiel 37, 1-10 says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and He brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord, set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And He led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you. And you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound. And behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked and behold, there were sinews on them. And flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army." Now, obviously, with Old Testament prophecies like this, there's often double fulfillment. But certainly, this is an illustration, um, a foreshadowing, um, and a, 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 a expression of what God does in the spiritual realm when he makes spiritually dead people alive. And it's, it's incredible. And he does this again. How does he do it in this passage? Through his word. He speaks and he causes breath to enter people, and he makes them alive. And this prophecy reminds us also a lot of, uh, of the time when Jesus raised Lazarus, his good friend Lazarus, from the dead, who had been dead for several days. And, and Jesus, who was full of the Spirit, um, raised Lazarus by his word. Jesus stood outside Lazarus's tomb, and he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And the man, Lazarus, who had died, came out. 
his hands and his feet bound with linen strips, the scripture says, and his face still wrapped with a burial cloth. And Jesus then said to the onlookers, unbind him and let him go. <laughs> this is amazing that God not only does this physically, uh, resurrects this way, and that he will do that in the future for us physically when he returns, but that he does this spiritually for us when we're dead. Um, this is what Ephesians 2.5 means, that when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. God took away our sins through Jesus' sacrifice. God put us on a new path to heaven. And, and he put us in the footsteps of Jesus so that we follow Jesus now and not Satan. Praise God. And because God put this new heart in us, this, this heart of flesh that is filled with God's own Holy Spirit, we're thrilled to be born again and to know Christ and to follow Christ now. God put a new disposition in our heart toward him. The, the way we feel about God is different. We now feel like God in a different way than we felt before Christ made us alive. We love God. We trust God. We want to live for the glory of God. Now, all that being said, it's also important to mention what doesn't happen when God makes a person spiritually born again. Being born again in Christ doesn't mean that all of your earthly circumstances, problems, trials, tribulations instantly disappear. That's not what being born again means. Being born again in Christ doesn't mean also that you no longer have to be responsible for or suffer the uh, earthly consequences of sins that you've committed. Um, being born again in Christ, hear me right on that one. The spiritual uh, consequence of hell has been taken away in Christ. However, on earth, you will still have to live with repercussions of decisions you have made. Um, being born again in Christ doesn't mean that you will no longer have any sinful thoughts or that you will not be tempted, okay? But despite those things, despite the ongoing temptations of, of, of the passions of your flesh, despite the traps and the accusations of Satan, uh, despite the harsh realities of life on earth, God has made you alive with Christ, Christian. God has filled you with the spirit of the living God who is far greater and far more powerful than all the powers of the earth. That is, that is great news. And it gives us a great hope, right? Uh, just like my family was captivated by, uh, this little bird <laughs> that I'm looking for outside my window. Um, it is captivating to witness the radical transformations of people's lives when God makes them born again. To, to see the radical life transformation of born again Christians, just look at the writer of this letter, uh, to the Ephesians. And, and look at the audience of this letter to the Ephesians. Both the writer Paul and the recipients, the Ephesian Christians, had been born of God in radically uh, 
they in, in and they were radically transformed inwardly and also it was evident visibly and publicly uh, paul's new birth was was so poignant that the book of acts recalls it and retells the story of his new birth three different times paul was a jewish pharisee uh, he had uh, he he hated jesus he hated the church um, he, he devoted his time, his energy to arresting Christians and having them put to death because that's what he believed God wanted to happen because he didn't believe Jesus was God. And, and on one of his hunts for more Christians, the resurrected Jesus confronted Paul. And Jesus spoke to Paul through a blinding light and he rebuked Paul for persecuting his people. And immediately, immediately, Paul did a 180. Uh, he did a 180 that the world has not been able to explain for 2,000 years because it makes no worldly sense. It just doesn't make sense from a worldly perspective. Paul recognized that this was the Lord, and he called Jesus, whom he had been persecuting, the Lord immediately. He was baptized then very quickly in Jesus' name, and then he publicly went to all the places he had gone and arrested Christians and instead told them, I'm not here to arrest Christians. I'm here to tell you I was wrong and Jesus is God and I'm one of you now. And people were so freaked out because they'd been so scared of Paul. It took them, a lot of them, a, lot, a long time to even believe his words and to kind of let them into uh, their fellowship. Um, and Paul would spend the rest of his life preaching the gospel and planting the churches. Uh, of Jesus all throughout um, the uh, eastern part of the Mediterranean. Now, besides Paul, uh, many of the Christians in Ephesus to whom he was writing had experienced the new birth also uh, in a very powerful way and uh, uh, in public. Before God made uh, them born again, Many of the Ephesian Christians had devoted their lives to magic arts and to demonic spirits. And why do we know that? Because the Bible tells us that. And also there's all sorts of papyri, uh, ancient uh, manuscripts that talk about Ephesus and all of the, uh, the magical um, curses uh, that they had written down. And so this is just this is historical fact. I mean, this isn't even up for argument. Um, but what happened is when Paul came to Ephesus, he preached the gospel. And specifically when he had an interaction with a demon in Ephesus. And, um, and when they saw that the spirit of Christ was greater than all of their magic and the demons, they had a 180 instantly. Um, they publicly repented of their evil practices <laughs> and then they trusted in the name of Jesus. They, they, they were so sincere in their repentance. They brought forth their expensive books. That's one of the things the Bible points out is that they had invested a lot of money into these books and into their arts. But they, what they did is they took all of them together, all their books they put them in one big pile and they burned them in the sight of all the citizens of Ephesus. This was quite a sight. What a statement. And then it says they joined the church in Ephesus and they began to follow Jesus together. 
this is the this is the core of the church to whom Paul is writing in the letter we're looking at today. This is amazing. Now, no matter how dramatic or undramatic the circumstances are surrounding a person's new birth, what matters is that God has made that person born again. Uh, and when God makes someone alive together with Christ, it is always an awesome sight in the eyes of heaven. Okay? There is nothing ho-hum about a person coming back from the dead. It's always amazing, even if from our earthly perspective, we're not blown away, right? In Luke 15, Jesus said that there is great joy before the angels of God in heaven whenever one sinner repents. That's awesome. That's what's happening in heaven. Heavenly joy and, and worship. Um, so it's irrelevant, really, how much drama surrounds the story of your new birth in Christ. Uh, what matters is that God breathed into your dead spirit at some point through the gospel and made you alive together with Christ. And that is awesome. As I was preparing the sermon over the past few weeks, I came across two stories of new life in Christ that I thought would serve as great illustrations for this message. I was watching a documentary on Amazon Prime called David Brainerd, Missionary to the American Indians. David Brainerd uh, was a man, he, he lived in the 1700s, and he devoted much of his life as a Christian missionary to the Delaware Indians of the state of New Jersey. Later on, just as a side fact, he was one of the people who started Princeton University, which when it began was a really great Christian university. But uh, Brainerd, early in his life, devoted much of his time to essentially living with the Indians, uh, the Delaware Indians in New Jersey, and ministering the gospel to them. And while there were uh, many times where uh, Brainerd felt like he did not bear much spiritual fruit in his ministry, uh, suddenly, one day, the Holy Spirit showed up in a powerful way as he was preaching the gospel. And he, the Spirit moved in sovereign power and made many of the Delaware Indians born again at the same time. It was just like Jesus described uh, the mysterious blowing of the Holy Spirit in John 3, 7-8, where Jesus said, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind, or pneuma, which is the same word as spirit, blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Spirit is so mysterious and sovereign. He comes and goes and blows whenever he wants. And um, the documentary said this. What Brainerd describes is basically what you had seen in other places during the height of the Great Awakening. People falling down, people breaking into tears over their sins, people going into long prayer times, talking about visions from God. As a result, it had an impact on the marriages of the Delaware Indians. It had an impact on their debt. A lot of the American Indians were in debt through drinking, and all of that changed. 
They would not take revenge on past offenses now. These were all kinds of the effects that the gospel had among those that were converted. It was a profound change. And then the documentary continues, as the revival continues, more Indians come in. And when these new Indians turn up, they build huts or put up tents. But the converted Delaware Indians are now going to them and preaching. So these new Indians are hearing the gospel, not from Brainerd, but from other Indians. And Brainerd writes frequently that he would go to bed and the Indians would continue to have prayer meetings or they would be singing songs in their huts or they would go out and visit the, the new arrivals and preach some of the gospel. Is that amazing? When God makes many people born again all at once, that is called revival. And revival is what we pray God will bring among us here at Cedar Home and in our community and in our state and in our country and all around this world. We, we ask the Holy Spirit through prayer. We ask, we pray, we beg him to blow in power through the declaration of the gospel to make many, many people alive together with Christ. Lord, please blow powerful spirit and make many alive together with Christ. The other story of new life in Christ I came across was the story of NBA Hall of Famer Pete Maravich. My boys and I have been playing a lot of basketball outside uh, in the evenings during this quarantine time. And I've been telling them about some of the great basketball players throughout history uh, who are followers of Jesus. And I want to show you part of a video I found uh, in which Pete Maravich describes the transformation he experienced when God made him alive together with Christ. I would have been uh, dead because uh, the day that I did get saved in 1982, basically I, I was contemplating suicide. I had been doing that for basically a year. And, and uh, why? I mean, why would a man who's, whose name is a household word, I mean, who kids scream when he comes down the street, people pay money to come watch you do things with a basketball? I mean, why in the world would you be talking about blowing yourself away? Well, because I think we're a society of getters and not givers. And, and uh, I've gotten all my life. Of course, I worked for everything I had, but I thought that getting these things, all these things would make me happy. And, and it did. I was temporarily happy. It's fleeting momentary. It's happiness. But it's not true joy. It's not peace. Uh, what uh, Jesus Christ talks about, it's not peace at all. And when he came into my life, he literally transformed me. I mean, totally, drastically. You see, I can only speak for my shoes. I can't speak for anybody else's. I got to run my race. I can't worry about this guy or this guy. I know what God's called me to do. He literally transformed me inwardly and outwardly. And uh, when he did that, I was in such uh, awe of that. I still am every day of my life. You know, as long as your heart's beating and you've got a little breath left, we should be thankful because I know that there's a billion people that make less than $153 a year annually. So I don't really, I can't empathize with people making millions of dollars, even myself, who made uh, upwards of over $500,000 a year during the time I played. I can't empathize with people that go in and say, I need more. I can't play for this amount. God really changed my life. He changed it. Money didn't change. You know, Ben, money will buy you a fine dog but only love will make it wag its tail. 
And that's what I found out from Christ. That only love. Now, now Pete, honestly, if, if somebody like me to come to you when you were at the height of your career and things were really cooking for you and somebody said to you, I mean, Pete, what you need is Jesus. I would have probably just said, thanks a lot, Ben. I appreciate it. And when you turned around, I'd shoot an arrow at you like that because I really never did have too many people come up to me, either because of intimidation or what. But, uh, you know, at 19, I rejected Christ straight out. I mean, that was it. I rejected him. A friend of mine went forward with tears in his eyes. who was just like me. I couldn't understand it. Didn't want to because I had goals and I wanted to just keep on going. But I tell you something, I am so just, uh, just in awe that God saved me. And he did do that. And uh, the joy that I have today is, is, is unspeakable. I can't explain it to people. The peace I have is permanent and lasting. And it's every day. Of course, uh, it's like when I practice basketball. That's what I'm practicing in the Word every day. I'm practicing in prayer. Because Christianity has to be practical to me. Or I don't want it. And Christ is very practical. He's real. If you've heard the gospel of Jesus, but you do not feel a belief in God, uh, you do not feel a trust in God, you don't necessarily feel a desire for God, then I would encourage you to pray to God and to ask Him to save you. Ask Him to breathe life into you. Confess your sin. Humble yourself before the awesome God of the universe who is your maker and to whom you are eternally accountable. Ask Him to save you. Tell Him you need Him. Ask Him to make you born again. Ask him to make you alive in Jesus Christ, and he will transform your life on earth and for all eternity. So once more, regeneration is the Holy Spirit's gracious act of breathing everlasting spiritual life into a spiritually dead person, uniting him or her to Jesus Christ and making him or her into a new creation who now wants to trust Love and obey the Lord with all of his or her heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, in our remaining time together, I uh, quickly want us to get to the second and third questions I asked earlier. The second question is this. Why did God make us alive together with Christ? Why did God, who is infinitely great, who is the Lord over all, who is so much bigger than us, but who made us. Why did God act so kindly to us when we treated him so hatefully? And Ephesians 2, 4-5 gives us a clear answer. Paul writes, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So God made us alive because he loved us with a great love. He loved us with a great love. The reason that any of us love God is because God loved us first. And God's love for us is not a small love, this verse says. It is a great love. It is a mighty, powerful love that is full of the awesomeness and holiness of God. 
That's what Paul's trying to get our brains around in all of chapter 1 and 2. How how much God loves us and how awesome is the power he worked to save us. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrated his love to us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God was for us when we were against him. What love? I mean, this is, this, is, this is amazing love. And to repeat what Paul wrote earlier in chapter 1, in love God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Ephesians 2, 4-5 says that, that God's great love for us is the outflow of who God is. God is, it says, rich in mercy. And God is rich in grace. So God is not poor or lacking in mercy. And God is not poor or lacking in grace. No. Good news here. The Lord is rich in mercy, and he's rich in grace. God is rich in showing compassion to trespassers. God is rich in sparing trespassers from the punishment they deserve for trespassing the good boundaries he put in place. Jesus died to save trespassers like you and me. And God is also rich in grace. He is also rich in giving his unmerited favor and help to those who have only earned judgment. Jesus died to save sinners like you and me. On the cross, Jesus was punished for, and he died for trespassers and sinners so that his Holy Spirit could make them alive with him and give to them the righteousness of God. This is amazing. Such good news. So to be clear, let's talk real quick why God didn't make us born again. God didn't make us born again because he was lonely or because he was desperate for worshipers. Jesus said he can make the rocks cry out and worship him if he wants to. Also, God didn't make us born again because uh, we changed our own foolish thinking about him and about the gospel on our own, and we decided Jesus was worth following. That's not what happened. God also didn't make us born again because we manufactured in ourselves a desire for Jesus Christ that wasn't there before, um, but now this manufactured desire in us surpassed our desire for the world around us. That's not what happened. Our new life in Christ is entirely because of who God is and because he willed to pour out upon his people the riches of his love and mercy and grace and kindness. We have been saved by God's grace alone. Amen. And our third question is this. 
How does our new life in Christ change our identity and our future? How does this new life change our identity, who we are, and our future? Well, in addition to all the identity changes we've already talked about from chapter 1, chapter 2 says that because God made us alive together with Christ, we are no longer sons of disobedience. We are no longer children of wrath. Praise God. (laughs) We have been adopted by God through Christ, and now we are the children of God. We are God's family. We're God's children. We're his heirs. We're no longer now followers of Satan, the prince of the power of the air. We are now followers of King Jesus, the eternal king over everything, over every power. We are no longer spiritual zombies walking in the deadness of our trespasses and sins. We are now alive with the life of Christ in us, walking in the newness of spiritual life by God's grace alone. Amen. And now here, look at verses 6 to 7. God reveals to us here through Paul more mind-blowing realities about our new identity and our future in Christ. It says, And God raised us up with him, with Jesus, and seated us with him, Jesus, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> so, so God not only raised us up from death with Christ, but God also raised us up to heaven with Christ already. And God not only raised us to heaven with Christ, he seated us in heaven with Christ. So why is Christ seated? Christ is seated because his work is finished. He finished the atoning work of saving sinners through his life, death, and resurrection. And because we are united to him through faith, our salvation is so certainly sealed that we are already seated with Christ at the right hand of the Father. Wow, that's amazing. And that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. What does that mean exactly? Well, it doesn't mean... That, that we have the same being or the same ontological being as Jesus. It doesn't mean that uh, we are just as powerful as Jesus. It doesn't mean that our spirits are currently in heaven and that they're not in our bodies. Uh, what this means, though, is this, that we who have been born again by God's grace are so truly and mysteriously in union with Christ at this very moment that our hiddenness in Christ is already established and declared with Christ in heaven. Our union with Christ is already established and declared in heaven as we sit with Christ. That's awesome. Thank you, Lord. Now, we're not in heaven yet, obviously, but... Because God made us alive together with Jesus, heaven is where we are headed. And if we love the Lord, you know, we don't have to worry whether he will welcome us to heaven when we die because we've already crossed over from death to life, Jesus said. 
it says here, God's already saved a spot for us. So God already seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. Wow, what great news that is. And now, as if we didn't have enough reasons to love the Lord and to thank the Lord and to worship the Lord, God gives us another reason in verse 7. The reason why God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Christ in the heavenly places was so that in the coming ages, God might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Toward us. That's amazing. Christian, as, as awesome as your salvation has already been, and as amazing as all the ways are that God has already worked in your life, you have only dipped your toe into the eternal oceans of God's grace towards you. In the coming ages, God is going to show you the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward you in Christ Jesus. Wow. I hope this is a great encouragement to you, Christians. A great encouragement as you think about and approach your own death, as you approach the end of your time on earth. None of us know for sure when that's going to be. Some of us have a better idea than others. But uh, I just hope this encourages you because this is what it means that Jesus has taken the sting out of death for us. Because of Christ, um, through our biological deaths, we will now live eternally with Christ, we'll, where he will show us the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us. I can't wait to experience that. <laughs> to live is Christ and to die is gain. Great, great, great gain. So as we close, let's, uh, let's step back and remember that today's passage is an extension of Paul's prayer from chapter 1. And so what Paul's writing here in chapter 2 is, is not only this astonishing description of how God made us born again and why he made us born again, but Paul is pointing to God's act of making us alive as an obvious demonstration of the power of God. And Paul prays that we will know this awesome power of God. Uh, God wants you to know that he loves you so much and that he worked his great power toward you to make you born again, to make you alive so that you might know his great power and love and the riches of his grace forever. God wants us to know that his same power that raised Jesus from the dead is, is the power he worked to make us alive in Christ. And this is the same power of God that is at work right now in us because the Holy Spirit of God lives in us. God wants us to know this, to trust this. God wants you to know that the power of his sovereign grace is so infinitely strong that it has resurrected Christ from the dead. And it has resurrected you from the dead. And it has resurrected his church from the dead. 
And this power will one day reconcile all creation under the headship of Christ for the glory of God and for our eternal joy. Praise God. What a joy it is to know this awesome, powerful, loving, personal, living God, Jesus Christ. What a joy it is to trust him with our lives and our eternities. And what a joy it is to follow in his footsteps by his power that is alive and working in us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this great news. Thank you, God, for not only that these realities are true, but also that you've given us the Bible to tell us they're true so that we have great hope and faith right now in this life. Thank you for making us alive. And we pray, Holy Spirit, blow over the people in our church and in our community and in our schools and, and um, our relatives who don't know you as we tell them the good news about Jesus. God, blow in power, change hearts, change people's disposition to you, make people born again, make them into new creations who, who love you and who want to follow you and who see you as the purpose they were created for. Help us this week, God, to trust you. Help us to keep our temporary trials in perspective. Help us to take our eyes off the world and to put our minds and eyes on these things, these wonderful truths, God, that you want us to know. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, thank you so much for being here. And uh, I hope you have a great day. Bye.